Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This week on Truth and Movies, we pass judgment on the Ruth Bader Ginsburg legal biopic on the basis of sex. This little soiree is our way of saying welcome. Then we cross-examine the Cannes Jury Prize winning drama Capernaum. And in Film Club, the 1998 disaster epic Deep Impact is in the dock. Was its poor box office performance a miscarriage of movie justice? Look at the bright side. We'll all have high schools named after us. All Rise, it's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. It's Michael Leader here, seeking critical counsel from Hannah Woodhead from Little White Lies. Hey. And Emma Lazic. Eleanor, welcome back. Thank you. So, Hannah, it's been a while. You seems to be a while, anyway. Yeah, it's been been three, four weeks. I've not seen you since you went to Sundance. Yeah. So, deliver the final word um, on Sundance for us. It was very good. It was very cold. Best thing I saw was The Souvenir, the new Joanna Hogg film. The trailer's just come out. It's uh, going to be out in May, I think, mm-hmm. in the United States. So, hopefully, same time over here. Really, really beautiful film about love and loss. And there's going to be a second one. She's doing a sequel. Okay. It's been planned as a two parter. And yeah, it features uh, Tilda Swinton's daughter, Honor Byrne Swinton. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. In her first like film role. And she's like magnificent. So, yeah, keep an eye out for that one. The souvenir. Can't wait to hear more about that. But let's get to this week's films. Up first, we have On the Basis of Sex. Felicity Jones stars in this biopic of US Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The film focuses in on a landmark case that in the early 1970s kick-started the battle against gender discrimination and launched Ginsburg's legendary legal career. But first, she must graduate from Harvard Law School, where in the 1950s she was one of the few women in a class of 500 men. This is only the sixth year women have had the privilege to earn a Harvard Law degree. This little soiree is our way of saying welcome. My wife, Harriet, and I are very glad all nine of you have joined us. Let us go around the table and each of you ladies report who you are, where you're from, and why you're occupying a place at Harvard that could have gone to a man. Sam Waterston there is (laughs) Dean Griswold. (laughs) Possibly the villain of the piece. Hannah, you wrote the review for On the Basis of Sex. Tell us, is this a timely biopic? Should we care about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and does this do her justice? No, we should definitely care about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's um, this larger-than-life figure in kind of US political, legal culture and pop culture now. She's become this sort of unlikely pop culture icon. She is 
nearly 90, I think. Mm -hmm. And this firebrand, tiny Jewish-American woman who's just kind of... I think... I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a bit because I watched the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary mm -hmm. on my flight back from Sundance, which is a very, very good film, also out pretty soon, if not already it, out. I think it's already out. It's called RBG. Uh, it's called RBG, mm -hmm. and I'm struggling to remember what was in that and what was in this. <laughs> um, this is a film that's been in the works for a long time. They've been, you know, sort of saying, oh, we should make a Ruth Bader Ginsburg biopic. In fact, um, I can see from the notes that Natalie Portman's going to be in mm -hmm. the film originally. Mm -hmm. And also... That, to me, makes way more sense as a casting choice than Felicity Jones. Right. I mean, Natalie Portman is Jewish and has been very sort of vocal about a representation of Jewish women in film. And then they cast Felicity <laughs> Jones for some reason. But yeah, I think, you know, there's a market for it. I just don't necessarily think this is the film that she deserves or the film that I deserve as a fan of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> why, why, why do you say that? Uh, what's its deficiency in it, that? It's very rudimentary. I think it's it's a very like a potted history. It's kind of going from her days as a law student facing down Sam Waterston, who's doing his best kind of like, I'm the sheriff of these parts, <laughs> and you're a woman. And so it goes through that all the way up until it's about like a twenty year period. Mm -hmm. It covers. It's quite a long time, and there's a lot that's kind of like glossed over. So. I don't want to get into like a history lesson about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, mm -hmm. but there was this very strange period where after she finished law school, she didn't graduate from Harvard. She had to move to New York because her husband got a job in New York. So I think she graduated from Columbia. I might be wrong. Ah, mm -hmm. oh, right. <laughs> um, anyway, so she graduated from law school and then couldn't get a job. No firm in New York would hire her, despite her having graduated top of her class because she was a woman. So she had to teach law. And then that's how eventually she ends up getting involved in this sex discrimination case which changes her life and also the kind of face of sexual discrimination law in the United States. But they're just trying to like do a lot in this film. They're trying to kind of cram in everything and kind of go for that real like mass market like if you don't know who Ruth Bader Ginsburg is this is the only film you need to watch and it's just I think it needed to be more focused and more kind of you know woman in the city tries to have it all is like <laughs> such a kind of old you know boring there is a middle Tyson. section here which almost feels like it could be Mad Men for Women in Law or, <laughs> or Miss Maisel from the from Amazon yeah. series. There's a pretty you know, interesting scene there where she's going for a job interview and you know, the, the guy interviewing her says, you're a woman, a mother and a Jew to boot. And <laughs> just seeing that she's got this you know, triple issues yeah. against her. Eleanor, what did you think of this film? Is um, this ticking yeah. boxes for you? I didn't really, I haven't watched the documentary. I didn't really know much about her, so mm -hmm. that was really interesting. I especially love the ending when we get to the actual case that she does. That was the most yeah. thrilling thing for me. And to go back to what you were saying about how it's a movie that does a lot, it's just... Like I totally agree with you, and I think that's a problem in the film because you you watch this and it, it doesn't necessarily all really hang together. You, obviously, it's all about sexism, but that's just because as this woman Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she encountered an insane amount of sexism because of the choices she made and who she was. And the movie tries to like put it all in the film, and you're mm -hmm. like, well, actually, if you, I mean, it's it's incredible that she managed to carry all that on her shoulders, but. The movie itself, I don't think, has the has what it takes to handle all of, all mm -hmm. of it, and so it it just feels kind of there are scenes that try to address those sexist issues, but in a way that 
I think in a more realistic film, it would feel more like a pervasive thing that she's aware of and she's just dealing with every single day mm -hmm. of her life. Mm -hmm. And here it feels like there are scenes to illustrate one aspect of sexism. <laughs> and every time she's like a little bit surprised and a little bit more disappointed. And I'm like, I don't believe that that's how Ruth Bader Ginsburg is. I think she's just very, very aware of how it's everywhere and, and then there aren't like little scenes where she learns something and I'm just like that's why it makes it a very like Hollywood type film mm -hmm. where they try to have these really big scenes where she either gets humiliated or she like power walks out of a room after like <laughs> saying something really sassy and it's just like well actually it would have been fun not fun obviously but horrible but like interesting to see the reality of living in that society because I don't think the movie really shows that as like a really realistic pervasive like sexism that that would be so I can't even imagine living in a situation like this where every single day you wake up and people like treat you like this mm -hmm. so yeah it paints in broad strokes doesn't it yeah. it comes off to me it comes off to almost like almost like a, a primary school history lesson yeah there's not much in the way of complexity to it we mentioned Dean Griswold, Sam Waterston. He's very much played as a villain, and there are these characters that are portrayed as equally good or bad. Mm. And they focus in so much on the home life of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her husband Martin, who's played by Army Hammer, in possibly <laughs> the the easiest, most woke role you can take. Because <laughs> Martin Ginsburg is a a dad who has a job, but is supporting his wife. Every line he says is, "You're amazing. Go do it, <laughs> honey." And yeah. every other line is, "How was your day?" I don't know <laughs> yeah. if you've noticed how many scenes start with him saying, "How was your day?" What <laughs> Did you do today? Uh -huh. They're like at least like five or something. You really it couldn't stop noticing. <laughs> I, I found it so so funny that uh, this is clearly an awards position performance for Felicity Jones, but Army Hammer is just happy being the best dad <laughs> and husband in cinema history. In this, I, I'd like him to give me a pep talk. <laughs> Han Hannah, what do you think of Army in this? <laughs> okay, right. So, <laughs> um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Martin Ginsburg have like one of the most kind of romantic stories I think you know that just they are an absolute joy as a couple for me like mm. they met at college and he was like smitten with her and thought she was just the best and <laughs> and this film is very much like like that you uh -huh. know it's just this guy who's just like god damn I'm the luckiest man in the world <laughs> and like and, and I really found that very charming mm -hmm. But yeah it's kind of like am I a legal thriller or am I a romance film mm -hmm. and maybe they should have just like picked one mm -hmm. because there, I think there's enough in their kind of romance that would be an interesting film about mm -hmm. a very supportive husband who kind of has everything handed to him on a plate you know he I think he went to Harvard as well they both and, did, yeah. and he becomes one of the best tax lawyers in New York mm. and you know everything just seems to come quite easy for him whereas she's there just like drowning in sexual discrimination anti-semitism and I think that would have been an interesting film as well Army Hammer I think um, you know he, he does a good line in looking tall and handsome and mm. slightly vacant and um, <laughs> one of the things I do find quite funny about this film in general is it so clearly on paper should have been like an awards contender yeah, yeah. and just in reality it's just you know who's giving the best performance in this film it's, it's Justin Theroux oh do you think he so he is like <laughs> going for gold as this kind of what would you say well, he's, 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 he's Mel Wolfe the historical figure he's the head of the yeah. ACLU at yeah. this yeah. point and Ginsburg is petitioning him to add their name their huge kind of civil rights lobbying name to the case yeah. and he's just tearing <laughs> apart all scenery around him yeah he's like <laughs> chewing it up you know and uh, he calls her Suck It and yeah. it's never really explained why if you watch the documentary it does go into why they call her this but <laughs> he's just like the first time he sees like Suck 
okay. He like, bellows it across the room. And I was like, did Yeah, you that do scene didn't really script? fit into like, the film. The scene where they meet yeah. for the first time in the film. I was like, what? And it's is kind of going implied on? there's like a history there. And, mm. and she's like, oh, yeah, we go way back. And I was like, what? But how? And what, what happened? Like, yeah. yeah, I think he's great, but he's got this really fake looking moustache. Oh, yeah, so mustache, distracting. And I mustache. was just like, why? Just, it's not hard. Just like make it better. I don't know. And also, I think he's the most interesting character because he's the most like complex. Like he, he's obviously on her side, but he mm. also knows the law and he knows what's, what can work and what can't work. And yeah, so he's he's more interesting than most others. The, the, his thread is was what was most, in, in some ways, most intriguing for me because the ACLU at that time was very much on the side of Black Americans and that mm-hmm. that struggle for civil, for civil rights. And he, his question for her is, how is this as important or more important than mm. that fight? Yeah, and the, does, the film doesn't really pick into that. Very, <laughs> no, very, I don't think it does. I think it's like, and that's an argument for another day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that is the most kind of relevant to today's society Mm -hmm. this idea of like picking your battles and like what should we be angry about and I think my favourite scenes in the film are like the ones where he goes over to their house and they're kind of coaching Ruth Mm -hmm. for the trial and that's where the kind of real energy is in this film Mm -hmm. like you know seeing him like push her and push her buttons and it's just so desperate to be this real like life affirming like you go girls like film mm. and it could have got more meat on the right. bones you and, know? and I think there's also there's this one really interesting line in the film where I think it's the Justin Firou character who says that if you lose this case you set a precedent for them to basically make sexism like even more law than mm. it is and that's really fascinating from his perspective because actually this is what happened with uh, a very famous case I forget the name now but I just read about it like yesterday that basically confirmed segregation laws in America in the 50s and this is exactly what happened someone tried to go to court to in for the same thing like someone that something that was really unfair to black people and they lost and so therefore this set a precedent for every similar case later to say well they lost in this case so therefore you can't win this time mm-hmm. and imagine mm. being in that situation it's such a huge danger if she, when she's doing this case in the film and it's only mentioned very briefly in the film but it would have been so like interesting to talk about it more because it would really give the sense that of the challenges mm-hmm. of this case not just like is she gonna do it is she gonna say the smart thing it would be like if she doesn't <laughs> history will be so different in a terrible way and yeah. it would have been nice to see more of that perhaps more compelling as a as a legal thriller than anything else but you have to wait sometimes to get there <laughs> let's put some scores on this Hannah I think it's maybe threes across the board it's quite hard for me to be extremely critical of this film because you know I always like to kind of champion films directed and written by women although this was written by Ruth's nephew I believe exactly Daniel Steepleman yeah you know it's great to see Mimi Leader getting her dues getting to make another kind of high profile film that being said of course you know I'm a film critic and (laughs) my my duties do the film but it is just all very GCSE history lesson kind of vibes it's not a film that I could ever see myself watching again Mm -hmm. you know and yeah I think you're just kind of left maybe wanting more from it more of anything really more romance more legal thriller just pick a lane okay. so yeah Eleanor um, I would say sort of the same thing but I don't know if I'm that positive about it because I feel like it's such an important and incredible mm. thing that she's done and I think the movie 
sort of almost trivializes it by making it so Hollywood. And I think that's very dangerous because it sets in, plays into the idea that, oh, yeah, like you've done this now, we're fine. Like, actually, we're not. I mean, we know that things could go back <laughs> to be very, very, very terrible. So I, at the same time, it's a movie that's going to probably teach a lot of people about this thing that even happened. Like, I don't I didn't even really know about this for a few months ago. But at the same time, I'm afraid that it might like sort of trivialize her and also make her dislike very empty icon thing which I like yeah. it's just can we please stop talking about her this way like it's very embarrassing like she works so hard <laughs> let's not say like oh yeah RBG like icon like well my role model stuff I mean there like, is go to school or something there's you know? this interesting prevalence in America and I think a lot of people have talked about this like the memification of politics mm. and turning political figures into kind of like you know just these empty Twitter memes and things and it's important to remember with a film like this it's not ever going to be the whole story and also like the Supreme Court traditionally is a very kind of conservative place and um, it's hard to really be progressive when you're a Supreme Court justice and obviously Ruth Bader Ginsburg did a lot and I think she's a lot more kind of liberal than a lot of Supreme Court justices but I think to get a better picture of the way that the American legal system works and kind of how sort of conservative and right-wing it is, maybe watch the documentary about her. Mm-hmm. I, think it's, I think it gives you a fuller picture of what's going on. Okay. Well, yes, I agree that this is not really the, the biopic maybe this figure deserves. <laughs> I'd probably say in anticipation three and probably two's both enjoyment and in retrospect, it's, it comes across as failed Oscar bait. Away, really Oof. to me and we've had a few of those over the last few weeks Hopefully, it's this that is, time of year isn't it, it? <laughs> luckily spring is coming and the superhero movies will be here before you know it but that's on the, exactly that's on the basis of sex up next we have a Cannes prize winning drama called Capernaum In a Lebanese courtroom, a young boy named Zayn is suing his parents for bringing him into the world. In flashback, we see the events that led us here, from Zayn's poverty-stricken upbringing to his attempt to run away and start a new life for himself, free from his family. This film premiered at Cannes last year and took home the jury prize, but Little White Lies' own David Jenkins says it's like a feature-length charity appeal, only less fun. Now, Eleanor... You don't have to agree with David, of course, but tell us about this film. So we stay with this kid called Zion, who's about 12. I mean, we don't even know for sure Mm -hmm. because he doesn't know when he was born. And he lives in Lebanon, in basically the slums. Mm -hmm. And he's got, I think, about six brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. and parents who are not very nice, kind of violent. Basically, they just have no, no money at all. And he always has to try and make money some ways like selling fruits on the street or selling anything that he can find really Mm -hmm. then one day his sister who's like very young Mm -hmm. uh, she uh, is about to be married off to some much much older man who's Mm -hmm. probably in his late 20s 30s but apparently that this is a thing in um, Lebanon and other countries like poor countries and uh, Zion doesn't want this to happen because obviously she's basically a child Mm -hmm. (laughs) and his attempts to prevent that set off uh, an incredible um, adventure that's kind of not in a not in a positive sense that like he just has to struggle even more to survive because he decides to leave home and to set off to leave all these people who have just never been good to him and to try and have a better life somewhere else and it's not as easy as it sounds it's not this is not a hollywood film mm-hmm. uh, and uh yeah so this is pretty harrowing portrait of what it's like to live on the streets in lebanon as mm-hmm. a 12 year old 
And it's told is this very much street level film mm-hmm. with non professional actors. Yeah. The actor that plays Zane is, is, is his actual name. Yes. Um, he gives this incredible unschooled performance, doesn't yeah. he? Of he owns and dominates every yeah. frame of the film. He's incredible, his... especially because he's uh, he's not even obviously he's not an actor. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nadine Lebec, he who I interviewed actually, she told me that this shot insane amounts of footage and she had initially she had like a seven eight hour cut of the film uh, and there were so many good moments obviously because it doesn't take very long into the film to realize that this is an incredible child who's who's every moment on screen is just so honest and Mm -hmm. and raw and like and incredible and obviously she told me that it was like very hard to cut down the film to two hours because there were so many beautiful incredible moments Mm -hmm. of him on screen and that that alone is such a to me, such a pleasure in, mm. in this film is he's just so incredible. You can't help caring about him. But also, I just I want to go back to what <laughs> David said because I think saying it's a feature-length charity appeal ad is very unfair. Because I think <laughs> to me, a, a charity appeal ad is you see this child who's who's very poor and he looks at the camera and he, and you feel bad for him and you want to pay money like whatever. This is the thing. There's this notion in those ads of like you're overing a little bit you're like look at this poor child he's struggling but he's looking at you right now and in the film there's not a moment where we feel so separate from Mm. this kid Zane on the contrary like first you see him you might be like what's going on because it starts in the scene where he is in court he decides to sue his parents for giving birth to him this Mm -hmm. isn't spoiler this is the plot because he hates being alive so much. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're like, what is what is happening? But then immediately you go back to the beginning of his story and, and you're so close to him, you're with him on everything, every little trouble that he has every day. Like, how do I make money? How do I wash? How do I help my sister? How do I do all these things? So it, it stops becoming this sort of charity appeal ad- aesthetic. It's just like, what is it actually like to be mm-hmm. on the street every day? It's not like... Oh, there are problems in the world and poor people who are who don't have anything to it. It's like you're on the street. What mm-hmm. do you do? And I think that's that's so much more almost valuable, I think, than than a charity appeal ad because it's like we always have these excuses like, What can I do? You know, I'm always I'm only away. Like there are systemic problems of like why these people are poor in this world and wars and stuff. And then in this film they're like, Okay, stop. You're with this kid. He has nothing to eat, he doesn't have anything to wash. What do you do? Mm-hmm. He just wants money. Uh-huh. It's not hard, <laughs> and that's what I really loved about the movie. It's like it's from the perspective of a twelve-year-old child doesn't know about politics, doesn't know about anything. He only knows is he was born, and from then on, his life sucked, <laughs> and now he doesn't want to be alive. And you're like, well, yeah. I mean, from perspective of adults or anyone who knows anything about you know the society, you're like, well, it's more complicated than that. But for him, it's not more complicated. It's like mm-hmm. I'm just alive, and I hate it. I don't want to be born. Don't mm-hmm. give birth to me. And I think there's value. <laughs> In that, it's not saying you should agree with him and this is solution, but it's like I don't know. It does Sorry, have that was like a really long rant, no, but it's, no, like, no. it's such a complex problem, and I want to do justice. It's a good rebuttal it's... to David Jenkins, yeah. whose review you can read on the on the website. Mm. But it does have this strong. Uh, well, it's, it's coming from this tradition of cinema of empathy, where mm. you are very much living with this kid for two hours and mm. seeing him go through all these experiences. But it does have an issues movie layer on top of that, mm-hmm. where it, it is looking at these undocumented people living in slums who are just having kids they can't provide for. And mm-hmm. I have a feeling there is a maybe a, a certain didacticism later in the film maybe yeah. Hannah where do you land on all this is this film that worked for you did it move you <laughs> 
It's funny you say that because I tweeted last night saying it left me quite cold. But I think that David Jenkins has been rightly dragged for that that statement on social media as well as... Yeah, a couple of people have tweeted and said that's a very unfair assessment of the film and I think it is unfair. I think there's not a lot I can say um, in addition (laughs) to... No, no, it was, you know, you were completely on the money. It's quite unfair to the film but also... It's an oversimplification, and anyway, I'm not going to second guess David's opinions mm-hmm. about this film. What's your um, opinion? Hannah? My opinion is the kid is great. I like that he's thoroughly unsympathetic at times. Mm-hmm. The way he talks is hysterical so to me. Rude. He is so rude. <laughs> he's got such a little like, a foul mouth on him. Like the things he comes out with, but that's the reality of it. I know kids who are 12 who talk like that who aren't living on the streets <laughs> if anyone has a right to be a rat bag it's this kid who's just kind of like his life is just relentless misery and he talks like Al Pacino or something <laughs> you know? it, it is kind of amazing um it just didn't really do very much for me. <laughs> I'm dead inside um this prompts the question how am I too kind of dead to this sort of thing you know Mm -hmm. every single day I read the newspaper I go online I see images of this thing and maybe that that's on me you know I've become desensitized to this and I should be resensitizing myself it does kind of open your eyes I think especially it's very easy to turn off and Mm -hmm. if you make a conscious effort to go and watch this film at cinema then you know you're not turning off you're engaging with it and I think it is you know that for me is valuable this idea that cinema can transport us and show us something so different and so far removed from our experiences and I do really like that Nadine Labaki is so clearly like positioned Zane's experience it's not like you know kind of looking at him like oh this poor child it's more Mm -hmm. just like this is happening right now and this is what's going on this is the way it is you know and it doesn't kind of fall into the very like much on the basis of sex it's not sentimental it's Mm -hmm. not um, oh everything's going to be okay for this kid I think you kind of leave and you're like you know kids like saying a lot of the time it doesn't work out you know you don't just get happy ever after that's Mm. not the way of the world it's not like Annie or Oliver (laughs) this this is like you know this is this is the reality and um, that I found refreshing yeah you know I'm I'm not going to sit here and say negative things about this film I, I, it just didn't work for me on an emotional level and sometimes okay. that that's what happens I, I think one, <laughs> I just want to add one thing because I think going back to what you said I think yeah it's true that it's not in this Hollywood way because you could totally expect a movie like this where the child has all these problems but he's a child Therefore, he's happy and he loves, <laughs> like you know, playing in the street. And and this isn't that. This is a child who's like, yeah, I could be happy if I had like food and could wash. But he's he's not this child who like the minute he gets something sort of nice, he like he moves on from. He forgets his misery. Mm. Like he's way, way more realistic than that. And you don't get to be like, oh, he suffers, but he's happy anyway because he's got friends and family. Like yeah. no, he's miserable, and and there's no escape from that. And it's not this kind of like uh, movie where you're like, oh, poor people, you know, they find a way. Like they don't, and that's that's what I really like as well. Yeah. That's why it makes it, I think, interesting in a way that maybe other films about um, similar topics aren't because it's like, yeah, you are forced to stay with him the way he perceives it and the way he perceives it it's not like oh you know we get by no it's like I don't want to do this anymore mm-hmm. let's put some scores on this Eleanor what do you uh, well for me I don't know like when I I didn't really know anything about it when I went to see it mm-hmm. I saw it in Cannes first free I guess and then 
I think four and then five actually because wow. I rewatched it and I liked it even more because mm-hmm. I was afraid this, that I would rewatch it and be like, oh, you know, I was a bit like swept up by it. But actually, I rewatched it and I was like, this works. This makes sense. <laughs> this is amazing. And this is like, um, it's such a good film as an answer to all these films that I, I think it's so easy to watch a film like this and be like, well, actually, this is all based on liberal guilt and stuff. And I don't <laughs> think it's that. I think it's like a genuine portrait of being in this situation and I think yeah it doesn't give you answers it doesn't tell you what should we do about this it doesn't even ask you for like your money or anything it just tells you what it's like to live this way and I think that's so valuable Hannah the cold-hearted opinion <laughs> no I, I I think that Eleanor's assessment is very fair and it's one that I think I will go back and rewatch at some point and see if I'm just kind of in a funk at the moment where I, I'm not responding to it. Because, again, like, it, you know, some people I very much respect have come out with, like, very, very glowing reviews of this film. There's something interesting here about, like, what connects to us as, mm. as, as critics. Yeah, I and, think like, it's totally we... fair to, like... I think I can totally imagine me even later or something or someone else <laughs> watching this and not be as moved as I was, but... I think that's totally fair. Yeah, but no, I mean, yeah, it's, it's threes across the board. Threes but across the board. <laughs> today, I'm just like three. Everything's a three. <laughs> Everything's fine. Cinema's fine. Um, but yeah, Nadila Baki, very, very talented woman, mm-hmm. and I hope she has a long and lustrous career in film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to expect with this. I hadn't seen her previous two films. It didn't leave me cold, but everything that I appreciate in this film reminded me of the craft behind it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I was looking at Zane, I was thinking, this is a brilliant child performance. I was looking at the way that, that Nadine Lebecki had been handling these scenes shot in real real locations, thinking how well managed this all was. There is an incredible scene, an well, incredible performance, I'd say, from a toddler in this movie. Oh, yes. Uh, which one of the best babies be One of the best babies in cinema history, screen, I'd say. Yeah. So there's a sequence where he's given some cheap milk, and he takes one sip and is like, what? Can you give me this? <laughs> so good, that bit. I'd say that, having got a baby myself it's, uh, it hit me even harder this time but I would say the film as a whole was a momentary interest for me mm-hmm. so probably 3-3-2 three, three, my okay. scores but divisive round the table <laughs> I will say so that's Capernaum in cinemas this week so we've had a film about a judge a jury prize winning film up next we have an executioner in the shape of an asteroid, maybe? <laughs> How long have you been working on that one, Michael? Just for the last ten minutes. Just the last ten minutes. So we have Deep Impact for Film Club. That was amazing <laughs> seeing that unfold in real time. <laughs> She's more of a justice than a judge, isn't she? Never mind. <laughs> one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a It's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. An asteroid is hurtling towards Earth, and a NASA program to drill into its surface and detonate a nuclear bomb is humanity's only survival. Nope, this isn't Michael Bay's Armageddon, it's Mimi Leader's Deep Impact. Based around a similar plot, Deep Impact took a more serious and much less macho approach to the material, following the impending extinction-level events from the perspectives of a young stargazer, a TV journalist, the President of the United States, and the crew of the Messiah, led by old-timer Robert Duvall. How many nukes do we have left in the bag? Four. If we can get the remaining bombs in that vent, there shouldn't be anything left of that comet bigger than a suitcase. Now, we can't do anything about the little one, but, you know, it just might give them a chance. Now, without the Army codes, we're going to have to wait to set the bomb timers until we get closer to Earth to raise Houston. We may not have enough life support left to get back into the cargo bay for the nukes, much less to look down on the comet. Sure as hell don't have enough propellant left in the Messiah to uh, to maneuver with. How are we supposed to get back off the surface once we've uh, once we've gotten down there? We don't. Hey, look at the bright side. We'll all have high schools named after us. So a clip from Deep Impact there, which didn't win the Battle of the Box Office in 1998 against Armageddon, but how has it aged? Do we have any tweets, Hannah? We do, yeah. I was tweeting about this film the other night, just kind of first reactions, I'd never seen it before. And my friend Campbell replied to my tweet and said, the meteor sequence... I'm doing this from memory now because I've lost the tweet. He said, the, me- the meteor sequence gave me nightmares as a kid or something. Until the age of 10. Until the age of 10, yeah. There was a really harrowing tidal wave sequence in this film. I mean, even having yeah. read that tweet from Cam, was I wasn't expecting it. He was too young to it. watch that if he had nightmares until he was 10. That meant he watched it before he was 10. That's insane. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. If you have kids can... under 10, do not show them this film. It's traumatic. It's very, very upsetting. Don't it is, do that. Yeah, it's very depressing. It's a real, like, a it's meteor a is going to hit Earth and we're all going to die. And that's you know? it. And that's it. That's the movie. It's such a fascinating film now. First of all, that um, the actual sequence of the tidal wave that's caused by the impact uh, is so pre-9-11. You, oh, yeah. You, you see tidal waves crashing Same through shot. New York of, yeah. of um, people being swept aside. There's an incredible yeah. uh, shot of uh, say Washington Square Park where there's old guys playing chess. There's a guy who's in the middle out. of reading his newspaper. When, <laughs> and I'm just like, why are you doing this? You knew the meteor would hit at this point. Mm-hmm. You chose this to be your last moment. I guess it makes but sense. But I suppose it's just following through with what is a, big, a downer of a movie. There's an, there's an hour in here where 
hope is, is lost. Yep. And yeah. it's about the Earth, or specifically America, who doesn't have much of an international purview, coming to terms. How, what will they do? What it's infrastructure a... has to be put in place to... Mm. They're all quite rational about mm-hmm. it. I'm sure yeah. there'd be a lot more like weird sex parties if like the end of the and world was like, announced. Like, you like... know, like religion stuff? There yeah. is, like, usually yeah, in those, like, like, those films, there's things. always like people yeah. in the street screaming, Jesus is coming, or this is the, <laughs> the judgment. And there wasn't any in this film. Actually, that's a very odd thing. There should be yeah. one. That's an alternate cut. Sex or religion? (laughs) (laughs) What what is in this film? Was it the first watch for you two? Yes. What what did you make of it? Yeah, I kind of I was aware of this. I think there's an article. There is an article. I know there's an article on Little White Lies about the kind of battle with the box office from '98. I was quite young when this film came out, so missed it the first time round. But it is like the most kind of 90s casting, you know, you've got um, young Elijah Wood with like the most hair in the world, Mm. you've got Robert Duvall kind of like swanning around, (laughs) we were just talking off air about like how old he is in this film, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like why is he in charge He's too old to go to space. (laughs) John Favreau, like as this kind of young buck astronaut, Morgan Freeman as the president. James Cromwell. James Cromwell, yeah. yeah. Yes, we forget like half the cast of ER you know (laughs) there's just a lot of things going on in this movie and a lot of subplots that kind of because it is just like basically giving you an insight into all these different reactions and you know all these different things that are going on Elijah Wood's trying to marry this girl he likes at school Mm because he can get her into the bunk (laughs) (laughs) sorry if anyone's ever seen that Simpsons episode where it's Mm -hmm. the end of the world which I'm assuming was like inspired by this then there's a bunker mm-hmm. and, you know, Lisa and Marge get in and Homer and Bart don't. Anyway, that's unrelated. But <laughs> there's this great bit in the film that I really liked where they announce the bunker, which is going to be where the people who are going to continue Earth go. And they say, if you're over the age of 50, then you can't come in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, they're trying to get rid of all the baby boomers. I like the sound of this. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, Mimi Lila's all right by me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I find this such a fascinating film. We have kernels of a great film in here. Mm. The production history is that Steven Spielberg wanted to make this. Mm. And I think the whole Elijah Wood thread, the fact that you're the kid who, during your astronomy science class at school, you discover an asteroid that's going to hit the Earth and you become almost a national celebrity off the back of that, that is a Steven Spielberg film. Oh, yeah. Every time it cuts to the suburbs and he's riding around on his bike with his flannel shirt on and this James <laughs> Horner piano theme comes in, it's really interesting. Apparently, most of that plot was cut out mm. um, oh, really? after test screening. So this film was originally more like two and a half, three hours long because it is a throwback to... The Towering Inferno, etc., films that had big ensemble casts and some central disaster that we look at through their various eyes. And you can see that Robert Duvall very much thought that he'd be getting a supporting actor nomination off the back of that. <laughs> He's really throwing everything into every scene. But coming alongside Armageddon, which is the big brash macho Michael Bay film that set mm. his career on his path, and just after Mars Attacks, oh. the Tim Burton film which completely spoofs this genre. <laughs> Talking about films that gave you nightmares, Mars Attacks traumatised me as a child. Mm-hmm. I had nightmares for years about that film, way too young to watch. I think it's actually like 
I don't know if it was a 15, but it's very violent. It was the first 12 I saw in a cinema and I wasn't 12. So it was a 12. (laughs) I was absolutely terrified that film gave me nightmares for years. I saw that film for the first time as an adult and I was traumatised. It's it's very strange and upsetting. Tom Jones, it's a very strange film. Sorry, it's a brief interlude for Mars Attacks. So Deep Impact just feels very old-fashioned, almost on delivery. Mm. Yeah. When you've got Armageddon, which has... You know, all of the things that people go to Michael Bay for in that film, the pumped mm. up macho action. Ben, Al- ben Affleck. Big <laughs> romance Tyler. that has the you know a, a big power ballad song behind it. Yeah. Deep Impact God. is much more interested in people and yeah. infrastructures and mm. politics. The fact that it has so many amazing scenes of people staring at uh, 90s computer screens. <laughs> they're yeah. pretty good computers, actually. I was surprised because, you know, there are so many films where the computer is just completely unrealistic. And here I thought it was like, good. actually, this looks pretty realistic for this time i think yeah. this is probably how the computers would work i mean i don't know i wasn't like on computers at the time but it, it didn't look like you know i was watching this incredible um Dolph Lundgren film where he had uh i forget what it's called but there's a scene where the the nuclear weapons are you can control them with a computer and you choose where you're going to fire them by selecting the country on the on the computer oh my god and, and i was like that's probably not how it works <laughs> But anyway, it w- it's not like that in Deep Impact. It's much more realistic. And actually, I read online that actually, apparently, Deep Impact is much more scientifically sound and realistic than, mm. obviously, Armageddon. But at the same time, I feel like this movie, uh, you know, you're talking about the one hour where there's no hope. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, that was interesting to watch as a film. I was like, this is crazy. A Hollywood movie doing this? Where people are watching it, the audience probably are like, I want my money back. This is too <laughs> depressing. But at the same time, I don't know if the movie has like what it takes to take something so hopeless and horrible and realistic and and to handle it properly like there's still all this like music and and all these things and I'm just like I don't know if the movie's aware of how bleak what it's suggesting is I was just like this is so so horrible and sad and plausible I mean you could all die right now we don't know and they probably wouldn't tell us if that was the case you know I don't think Morgan Freeman would be like I was waiting to tell you about this because we wanted to wait if we could destroy this already he would just not tell us and we would all die it would be fine Mm -hmm. easier but yes, yeah, so I don't think the movie's like got what it takes to really understand mm-hmm. how grave the situation is. Like it feels, it, it's not like unrealistic enough. Like usually those movies, the catastrophe movies, they're more like, oh, this is a crazy like tornado thing. What it's never gonna happen. And here it's like totally could happen. We we don't <laughs> control asteroids. And it could happen, you know. We're talking about Deep Impact because it's directed by Mimi Leader, who also directed On the Basis of Sex, which is released this week. This at the time was her big shot at becoming the new Spielberg in a way. It was executive produced by Spielberg, put out by DreamWorks, produced by DreamWorks, and it was the biggest budget given to a female director in Hollywood at the mm. time. We talk so much about movie jail and female mm-hmm. filmmakers who, you know, she made this and made pay it forward afterwards and then sort of went away for a long time. But she's excelled in television during that oh, time. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that might just have been, we've talked about two of her films and come out kind of mediocre on both. Maybe that's the best form I, for I her. think... If you think about Deep Impact as like a character study, then it totally makes sense that she went on to do The Leftovers, she mm-hmm. went on to do ER. Mm-hmm. So I think she really kind of found her groove working in television and getting to tell these like long-form stories, which go over years in the case of ER. So I don't think this is a case of her, you know, kind of like being put in movie jail because she mm-hmm. made a bad movie. And it made money, you know. It, it did make money. Not maybe as much money as they thought it was going to make, mm-hmm. but... It wasn't a flop at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it just 
lost out to Michael yeah, Bay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've all lost out to Michael Bay, you know, <laughs> in one way or another. But yeah, I, I think that Mimi Lee is a really interesting case. I, I would be fascinated to know kind of what made her come back to do On the Basis of Sex after mm-hmm. kind of so long out of the game mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. What a remarkable career to have gone from Deep Impact to, yeah. to, the, to On the Basis of Sex. It just... Yeah. yeah I actually t- you were saying this was going to be a Spielberg film mm-hmm. but I don't know if the Tia Leone character would be the main character mm-hmm. in a Spielberg mm-hmm. film I mean she's this woman who's a, a journalist reporter who wants to become an anchor woman I guess and also there are all these scenes where she's working in the office and there's this other journalist who goes to uh, you know the in office care center for babies, what uh, it's called, uh, crash. nursery. Yeah, crash in the office. I mean, this is 1998 Hollywood movie where you see a woman who's working and also got her baby in the office. And I'm like, I don't know if this would have been necessarily been in a Spielberg film, you know. And it feels like they tried to make her more the central character in the film, and it feels like quite significant that mm. wouldn't be in a Michael Bay film mm-hmm. and I don't know if it would be in a Spielberg film and so that's that's one aspect of it mm-hmm. that I think was really striking to me mm-hmm. and I quite interesting I'm, I'm, I'm just really I don't want to make like assumptions about Mimi Leder's career because I even watching just this film I was just like what happened there like it feels so strange there's so many different narratives going on things that you see way more of you see less and you would think you would see more of the Elijah Wood character it just feels like such a huge project mm-hmm. that I don't know what the history was there, and yeah. like I don't know. And she delivered the film. She delivered. I mean, yeah, it's not even like it's not a failure or anything. Mm-hmm. But I'm just I don't know what how Hollywood works at this time. I don't know how it was for her. I don't know how you know because I don't I don't want to make assumptions. But like yeah, mm-hmm. in any case, from an outsider perspective, she didn't fail, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she should be making more movies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think maybe not to compare it too much with Armageddon. I'd love to watch this alongside the War of the Worlds, which is where Spielberg Ooh, yeah. makes his disaster movie, mm-hmm. and it's post nine eleven. So <laughs> side by side, you know, you don't see also pe- very hopeless. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it but me, it is human level. Mm, but it's the family level. It reminds me a lot of um, the day after tomorrow as well, mm-hmm. which I I think. That was kind of my deep impact, you know. I, that, that's the right age for me. Jake, good Jake old Jake Gyllenhaal. You brought him up again. <laughs> Every time I come on, I'm contractually advised to bring up Jake Gyllenhaal. Well, we'll have to see <laughs> next time you're on. I did have something else to say to about that, that but I, I've lost my train You've of thought. Gone all <laughs> dreamy <Jake> eyes. <laughs> Well, that was Deep Impact. If you happen to watch it now, let us know what you think at the usual channels, at Truth and Movies on Twitter, at truthandmovies at tcolin.com via email or at com slash podcast. We have a comment section there. Next week, we're going to be reviewing Fighting With My Family, starring The Rock and Florence Pugh. It's a wrestling movie. We have Hole in the Ground, a new low-budget horror film. And for Film Club, it's the 20th anniversary of Hideo Nakata's Ringu, the Japanese film that... Uh, Started off the Asian extreme cinema boom. Can't wait to rewatch that. Let us know what you think at the usual channels. It just leaves me time to say thank you to Hannah and Eleanor for joining me today. I've been Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a 7 Digital production. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.